Hey everyone, you're listening to Stanford Sierra Youth and Families Resource Families Thrive. This is Daniel. I'm the recruitment specialist from Pathways to Permanency. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by Jen Crisetti. She's one of our program directors. As a reminder, please like, share, and comment on our social media posts and podcast episodes that'll help us teach people about foster care and let them know that we're here to support you through the journey of foster care and adoptions. For any of our new listeners out there, Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is a merged organization with the combined 140 years of experience. We serve the greater Sacramento region in California, and we have a variety of services which all support our mission, transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. At this time, we have office locations in Auburn, Grass Valley, Sacramento, Citrus Heights, and Woodland. So Jen, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit more. Good morning. I am happy to be here. So uh, like you said, my name is Jen Crisetti, and I am one of two uh, directors in our Pathways to Permanency program. So I have the pleasure of supporting um, our foster care, foster care to adoption program, as well as our Wonder Mentor program and our Destination Family Program, which is a child-centered recruitment program. So um, I have been affiliated with uh, Stanford Sierra um, for about seven years now. I uh, went to the county for a couple years uh, in between and have been back um, and had the pleasure of being part of the merger. I've been back for two years now. I know that you have a ton of experience in the foster care system. Do you want to give us a rundown of what that has looked like for you in your career? Sure, I'll try to do a nutshell here of the journey. I actually, in undergrad for my bachelor's, I studied child development, which I'm super grateful for that foundation. Uh, It really helped me appreciate and be really grounded in sort of the normative child development journey. And it was at the end of that work, uh, coursework, that I realized I actually wanted to be a social worker, but because I loved my parents and I wanted them to let me back in. I didn't ask to do more school, but I did get a job in group home care right after my bachelor's program. So I did that in 1997. And back then, things looked a little different. Uh, We had a very home-style group home, which is always the goal, but I actually worked in a co-ed group home, um, which doesn't happen anymore these days. But doing that just really opened me up to what it was for adolescents and teens. I think that's when I first sort of opened my eyes to what happened in the system. And so that really sparked a lot for me. I did use that child development degree as a preschool teacher, but social services really kind of got under my skin in the best possible way. So off to grad school, I went and I got my master's in social work in 2004. I had the privilege of being a Title IV student. So that was a fantastic way to go through grad school. And I had a heart for child welfare. So it was a great fit. I did have the pleasure of working in Sac County early on in my career as a social worker. I did family reunification and informal supervision, both still of which are programs offered to families. And just really appreciated being a part of stabilizing families with the goal always of children to remain with their family of origin and or kin when that wasn't possible. That continues to be a driving force and value. So I, that was just a great experience. And knowing that teens continued to be sort of a, a passion point. I took a little break from child welfare for a few years and I was a program director at Adult Day Healthcare. 
then I was at the Children's Receiving Home. Uh, I had the pleasure of managing the residential-based services program and the independent living program that we had there for a while. So again, working with our elder youth in care was an absolute delight and challenging and hard for lots of different reasons. And then from there, it was sort of what happened for me was sort of wanting to really be a part of what it was to try to help support permanency for young people who I was continuing to see either be overlooked, uh, not paid enough attention to, and or aging out of the system. Mm -hmm. And so that really sparked me wanting to work more on the front end of things in the permanency journey. And Sierra Forever Families at that time, Sierra Forever Families, I had been very aware of who they were in the agency the inclusion that they honored of who they served, as well as the fact that they had destination family. They, they had a value and a, a drive to hold that every child deserves permanency and a loving and safe home. And so that's what drew me to Sierra. And then I went back to child welfare because I thought that's what I needed to do. So I was an adoption supervisor with Sac County for a couple of years. And um, it was really great to be back in that system and sort of understand what that was. And then for me, in terms of being in an agency that is eclectic and has lots of different things to serve all the different needs, I, I realized that there was great value in that, and that was probably the best use of myself. And so it worked out a couple of years ago for me to come back to Sierra. And then a year ago, the merge conversation began and happened. And so now we get to be a part of this continuum of, of just supporting children and families in our community. One thing that came up a lot was teenagers. We intentionally talk about teenagers quite a bit on here because our older youth are the ones that seem to be in the most need. This might be a big question, but why do you think that is? I think there's a couple of different, pretty significant, probably, things at play. You know, obviously, a, a typical parenting experience starts with young children, right? Starts mm -hmm. with babies. And so, it, you know, there's, there's, I think, a deep understanding and appreciation that a lot of us have in this work that a lot of our families who come forward are hoping to be a part of a full journey. Mm -hmm. of a young person. So they, they want to start with a small child, a young child, and kind of watch that growth development and be a part of those milestones. And that's incredibly understandable. Because that first factor is true, our children who are uh, school-aged or tweens, as we now use the term, or teenagers, I think sometimes we can forget uh, as a community that those are young people who also need to have people to support them through their continued developmental stages and their opportunities to have first experiences and that they also need to be connected and have that foundation. And so, again, it's, it's to no fault of anybody's motivation to move through, but I think that's one of the disconnects that happens. Yeah. I also think, depending on a child's core experiences, because when we look at the spectrum of who the system touches, Sometimes the issues are significant and severe and a child's family of origin is not safe. And then other times it's just people who need support and have some brokenness and need some mitigation of those issues. And so I think depending on a child's experience and their age, it's very confusing and overwhelming to think of having new or different parents. 
Yeah. And that's a real struggle. And so, so we have to do a lot of work around that. And that's part of why we train our parents to really understand you have to leave room for all those relationships and children need to see that they have permission to love both sets of parents. Um, that's how they, that's how they end up okay. And yeah. then I think for our adolescents and our teens, if grownups have failed you, if it has not been safe to be in a home, if caregivers haven't done what they're supposed to, to take care of you, it's really hard to trust that these two new ones or this one single one or whoever it might be that wants to come forward for teens in a pregnancy journey, that can take a lot of extra work. And that can be some pretty significant hills to climb. And so you have to be pretty special to want to climb those hills and to be able to tolerate that journey. Touching back on something you just said a moment ago, one thing that I have heard from families that are coming in for adoption is that part of their journey is understanding their own grief and loss over those first experiences. Uh, They have to understand and take in the fact that they're going to have to grieve that they have never gotten to experience that child's first smile, first laugh, first steps, first day of school maybe. And so that's also a big part of why families do want to take in the younger ones is so they can witness those really large visible milestones. But it's also really crucial to be aware that you're going to get to see a lot of major milestones with our older youth as well. What would you say, by the way, is the definition of an older youth? This is one of the areas at orientation that sometimes takes family's breath away, because I think people are inclined to think 14, 15, 16, and we really stress six and older is where we start talking about older youth. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about kindergarten, first grade, second grade children who can end up languishing in care if they don't have family of origin to be able to support them and if we don't have resource parents available for them. Could you talk about the difference for me for a between a resource family and a foster family? Uh, that's a great question. And it's sort of a shift in vocabulary. So with resource family approval, which uh, began its implementation in 2017, the historic term had been foster parent. That's what we knew to be true, is that there everybody was a foster parent. Some foster parents wanted to provide permanency and do guardianship or adoption, and some foster parents just wanted to uh, be foster parents, be a safe haven, supportive environment for children who needed care. What is also true with a language change or an emphasis is concurrent planning. So really in 2017, part of what the energy is, is to look at the families who we do have come forward. That is a big part of the conversation because part of what we want to be true for children is that they are not having multiple placements. Mm -hmm. So while we still know that we need resource parents to provide emergency care, we need resource parents who can take our children who are maybe having a harder time with their journey, so maybe have more significant behaviors that they show in response to what's going on for them. We've had to really grow the conversation just in the last two years of also teasing out for those resource parents who come forward who maybe aren't sure they want to commit to permanency. We have to, we have to talk about that and we have to look, about, look at what is the best fit for them. We have to think about the impact on children and that we don't want children um, experiencing multiple moves if we can help be a part of that solution. When it comes to our kin and our, and, our, and our kin coming through and what 2017 did 
is it was to help alleviate kin members having to go through two processes. So what used to happen just a very short time ago is that say, you know, the county places um, a child on an emergency basis with grandma, grandma's providing care, helping support with reunification, and unfortunately maybe reunification doesn't work out and then grandma is now going to adopt. Well, before grandma would then have to go through a whole nother assessment for the adoption process. And so as you can imagine, that was very cumbersome on relative caregivers. It was sort of going through everything twice. And so with resource family approval and those changes in 2017, it sort of made it where now when we're assessing whether it's kin or somebody just coming forward to support children, that everybody's going through the same assessment process and just really helping to streamline for children and families not having to go through additional stressors and assessments. It's an incredibly stressful journey for relatives. No relative is anticipating needing to come forward and care for their kin. And so I'm, I'm really glad to see that shift for uh, relatives. They placed a lot of emphasis on family finding and they placed a lot of emphasis on kinship care because kids do have permanent connections within their communities. When we talk about family, we're also talking about extended family. So if you are out there and you are a teacher, like a high school or junior high teacher or a coach or a pastor, and you know a child in foster care, and especially one who winds up needing a place in their permanency journey, you have the ability to step forward and be assessed as a kinship connection to this child. You might be what we call a nephrom or non-relative extended family member, but you still have the ability to come forward and say, I am connected with this child already, and I think that they should maintain that connection. If you know a child out there, please do give us a call because the kinship people that we find, statistically, kids have fewer placements, they stay in their placements longer, and they are more likely to reunify with their birth families. And if that does not happen, kinship placements are much more likely to provide permanency to a child. Jen, we've mentioned Foster Care Awareness Month being in May. What does foster care awareness mean to you? Why is this month important? Holy smokes, so many reasons. You know, I think, and I still hear this, and it's been a lot of years of being around the work. I think until, for some people, until a certain news story or until, you know, some sort of special or a new series on A&E or whatever it is, um, a lot of people really don't realize within, especially in Sacramento, within our own community, how many children we have in care. It's been a, a really wonderful drop in the last few years, I will tell you, as, as different dollars and focuses have gone towards the front end at our CPS partners as they're trying to maintain children with their family of origin. It's been a fantastic drop by about a thousand children in the last couple of years that are actually in care at any given mm-hmm. time. But there are still, I think it's, I think we're at about 1,300 right now in Sacramento County. And so I think part of it is that people just don't know. I also think that it, unfortunately, there's an accidental criminalization that happens to families who get touched by the child welfare system. 
And so depending on somebody's own awareness of that, I think there is a negative view of who our families are that get touched by the system and who our children are in care. And so I think it's really important to utilize May as a, a sort of a myth-busting opportunity that, you know, this is just uh, vulnerable people. You know, there's that line of hurt people, hurt people. I think just the community are appreciating that they are children. They are parents. They want help. Nobody has a desire to feel alone and scared. And I think what it can be for our families to come forward and just realize that there's vulnerability and fear one layer beneath any sort of outward anger or frustration or behavior that people need a lot of healing and being able to be a part of that is pretty fantastic. I think our resource parents say it best in terms of what it is that they maybe were overwhelmed or fearful and then they get into the process and they're supporting children and we have had our families say, like, why didn't I do this five years sooner? Our best referrals are word of mouth. It is a big deal and it's hard. And it's not as hard as I think a lot of people think. And so I think all of those things are important for people to be aware of and that, and that you can come forward. And I'm going to keep on coming back to the way you can help is by calling, by asking the questions, by getting the information on what it's like to be a resource parent, to be a mentor, to be some form of connection for a child. With everything that Foster Care Awareness Month is, what do you think is the most crucial piece that people need to be aware of? The need, unfortunately, is never going to go away. So I think for me, having been around this for 20-something years now, it is wonderful to see the shifts that have happened in terms of energy and dollars and focus going towards family stabilization to help remove trauma and loss and to help lessen the need for children to end up in foster care outside of their family of origin. And that is great. And I would, I would love to live in a world where I could believe that we won't need all of the things that we need in, you know, 10, 20 years, but, but we will. And so I think knowing that there is always going to be a need for some children and young people, adolescents, teens to have parents and caregivers outside of their family of origin is an important guiding compass in this work and just having that awareness. We use this movie a lot, but I think because it was so well done and it was done by an adult adoptee, the movie Instant Family, there's a great scene in the movie, a cute scene in the beginning where Mark, Mark Wahlberg is talking about, like, we're not that special. We don't even volunteer on holidays. And I do think that people are their own worst critics. And thinking that it takes being wonderfully special and being that person who does all the things. And that's really not the necessity. The necessity is just having an openness, being willing to be vulnerable yourself, being willing to fumble through and not thinking that you're supposed to have all the answers or know how to move through all the things. So I think that's a big part of it is just wanting people to realize that we're all sort of hurt and vulnerable human beings who want to be connected. And that's absolutely the same truth for our kids in care. We've talked in our team meetings about a wonderful quote uh, that came out from the Family Finding 
uh, organization about this time in our world really um, actually being paralleled with what foster children have felt uh, forever, which is, you know, scared and alone and confused and frightened. And now, you know, this, this pandemic has really lent adults to walking in that path of what it is to feel so out of control in your community and in your environment. And that's what children who come into care feel all the time. And if you're curious, learn more. Like that's all we can ask of you. We don't make you sign anything after orientation. We don't take a blood sample and hunt you down. But if you're curious and you feel like it's possible, just learn more, whether it's our agency or another agency, just go somewhere and learn more about how to be a resource for kids in care. Families will come to orientation and we don't see them again for a year because they realize like, okay, these are the things that we need to get together to be able to do this. And so they come back and that's, then that's fantastic. I know the average family contemplates doing foster care for about five years before they even pick up the phone. And that is perfectly okay because it means that you're really thinking about it. And a statistic that I learned recently is about 25% of families in the United States have contemplated foster care at some point. And the important step is asking those questions and getting that information and taking that leap. Do you have any shout outs or fun stories from your time with Stanford Sierra Youth and Families? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. First and foremost, I think, you know, we've just gone through a merger, which I I think no matter what type of business anybody might work in, you can appreciate and imagine what that is to blend to, you know, agency cultures, values, mission statements, all of the things. And in that is everybody who was able to still show up and stay focused on their jobs and and move through that process. And so I think just that's probably my first shout out is to like our social workers and families and everybody who have moved through it. I think shout outs could be to a bunch of specific families as well as all families in general. And then I think I think the kiddos, you know, it some of my most profound learning lessons have come from 15 year olds and then I also think just those who come forward with a lot of vulnerability and willingness to learn and kind of you know turn themselves inside out to be the best they can be for kids so I think all of those things just always really drive my passion well our directors have done a ton of work especially through this merge and guiding us through continuum of care reform and it is hugely appreciated, as is your time today. For everyone out there, I hope that you're able to join us for future episodes. Our goal always is to provide you with some information, answer some of your questions up front, and Pathways to Permanency is always seeking a really strong, diverse pool of families. There are a lot of kids within your community, and if you're interested in starting the process and learning more, I really hope that you give us a call. Our phone number is 916-368- 5114. You can also visit our websites at youthsolutions.org or sierraff.org. And you can give us an email at pfcrecruitment at youthsolutions.org. Jen, thank you again. I'm so excited that you were able to join us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And for all the families out there, until I get to talk to you again, I hope you keep on thriving.